that David went through. Each Sunday as I would get up to preach or even as I was preparing for the sermon to preach each Sunday, it was almost as if God said, I'm going to show you just how sovereign I am. Now, of course, I'm Reformed Baptist just like you. I, I know the sovereignty of God, don't you? But we have to go through those times, don't we? I mean, there's one thing in being saying you're Reformed, and there's another thing in experiencing Reformation in your life. And I must say that this past year I have experienced much Reformation in my life. It's as though God has put me in the pressure cooker. Like Job, and I'm talking about Job of the Bible, God puts us there for a purpose. And He sovereignly brings about even the difficult times into our life so that we might be sanctified. Even us as preachers know that we need to be sanctified. We preach it to our members all the time. But we must be holy if we expect our members to be holy. If there's not fire in the heart of the pastor, how can we expect fire to be in the heart? of those that sit in the pew. As David said in Psalms 37, 23 through 24, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. God's providence is truly to be admired not only in Scripture, but also as we look at our own lives and see how He works each and every day to bring about His purpose and to bring glory to Himself. And we know that one of the reasons why God has given us stories of men such as Job and Joseph and Moses and and David is for the very purpose of showing us the painful trials that they went through And how God will use the lives of these men to cause us to realize that He likewise has a purpose for us. And that He will use our lives to bring glory to Himself. Three reasons why God often tests us as His people is so that we might have the opportunity to act out our profession of faith. So that we might suffer with our Lord Jesus Christ and that we might be forced to turn to God during these difficult times. I mean, if all times were rosy, how often would we turn to the Lord? He knows what it takes to cause us to trust Him each and every day. Now, if anyone understood that, David understood that, the man after God's own heart, and I've come to see that more clearly as we have gone through 1 Samuel. And it's been so wonderful to read the Psalms as they were written by David and what he was going through. That's been such a delight for me, especially while he was in those caves and how God speaks to us through those Psalms because of his personal experience. Now, of course, we don't have time to go through the entire Psalms, Psalms 37, that is. And I want us to just look this morning at the very first part. Matter of fact, I want to read verses 1 through 11, but we will not even look at all 11 verses. Psalms 37, beginning with verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of workers of iniquity. 
For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His righteousness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. And He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because the the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, You will look careful for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now this particular psalm that David recorded is a great mystery of the prosperity of the wicked and the affliction of the righteous. How often are we perplexed in the success of the wicked as we look at them and as we see them succeeding in worldly things and the difficulty that we have and it's easy for us to become envious of these workers of iniquity who seem to be successful. Spurgeon said, nature is very apt to kindle a fire of jealous when it sees lawbreakers riding on horses and obedient subjects walking in the mire. Now this also can be true in religious circles, can it not? I mean, when we see charlatans misusing Scripture and speaking about the health, wealth, and prosperity of the gospel and drawing 45,000 on a Sunday, and then we stand in front of our small congregations, there's a battle. Satan begins to shoot his darts and calls us to think that they're successful and we're not successful because we just have small little congregations. But yet we know at the same time that God commands us to simply be faithful to those whom God has given us to speak the truth in love and to carry the banner of Jesus Christ. But yet Satan continues to fire his fiery darts to seek to discourage us. But yet David tells us to remember that their days are numbered, that he will soon cut them down. And I hope he cuts some of those charlatans down really soon. Like many of you, you know that we're under the judgment in America. I mean, when God gives men what they want, what tickles their ears, it's clear that we're under judgment. And we need to pray that God would be merciful and remove these men and and give people ears that desire the truth instead of such that we hear so often. Most of you know that 
we as a church, because we put it in our letter when we send it to Arbica to be sent out on Wednesday night, purchased land. We've been praying about it for 12 years, and God opened up a door for us to purchase land, and there's a 4,000-square-foot house on this land. We purchased it over a year and a half ago, and we began to remodel this house to try to make it a place of worship so we could get over there on Wednesday night and, and Sunday night. It wasn't big enough for us to be over there on Sunday morning, and we continued to rent a facility from RTS. And as we began to work on it, I immersed myself into it. I didn't sprinkle myself into it. I immersed myself into it. I was working probably 80 hours a week. Uh, I'm also, I was a bivocational minister at one time, remodeling houses and things. So God had ta- given me talents in that area. So I did everything that I could to see that we could get over there when I wanted to be over there. And it just about killed me. Like I said, uh, I spent a year doing that, and I've, I've heard pastors say, if you can survive a building program, you can survive anything. I, I agree with that. And you need to go into a building program with your eyes open. And through that year, God has taught me much. And he finally stopped me because I had to have surgery. I was one day outside painting, and and a wasp nest got after me, and I had to jump off the ladder. And when I jumped off the ladder, I felt my disc in my neck begin to bulge out. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, I kind of said, well, I can keep working. I was up in the attic, and the ladder slipped, and I fell about 10 feet. And I realized that I've got to have surgery on this thing. It's really hurting me bad. So I had to have surgery, so God put a stop to my working so diligently on this building. And then my wife, she felt that uh, she wanted the same surgery. And four months later, which was only a month ago, she had identical surgery. So we got matching scars. She's not here with me, but if she was here, we could show you our matching scars for that. But like I said, God God knows how to get your attention. God knows how to slow you down. And he knew that I needed to be slowed down and I needed to rest. Now, in, in this, David tells us from personal experience not to envy the wicked. And this is when he was older in life and he's looking back on his life and he's telling these things that he had personally experienced and telling us not to fret over these things. In other words, not to have heartburn. I got a bottle of Tums right beside my bed during the middle of the night. I don't know how many of those I would take every night. I thank the Lord now that I don't take. I took one this morning. <laughs> but I don't take many right now. And I'm trying not to fret. I'm trying to be patient, as the passage says here, and find my peace in the things of God. And, and knowing that faith is able to give us 20-20 vision. And David continues and he tells us here to do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. See, true faith is obedient to the Word of God. So doing good is the remedy of not fretting over those things that we cannot control. Again, you know, in this building process, dealing with city and city permits will give you heartburn. 
And I've had to come to realize, as well as Pastor Bill, because he's right there alongside of me helping us do this, that, that we just have to wait on the Lord's timing. And we've come to that conclusion just recently because of butting heads with the city time and time again, trying to get them to give us permits to do what we think needs to be done. And they're telling us, you can't do it that way. You've got to do it our way. So we're, we're trying not to fret. We're trying to do that which is right and pleasing to God. Spurgeon said, There is a joy in holy activity which drives away the rust of discontentment. Now, much of what we do outwardly depends on what is taking place inwardly. Is there that peace? Is there dependent upon the Lord? And the peace reveals outwardly if we are truly trusting in the Lord. Again, the Job of the Bible understood that, and that's why he said, Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall not accept adversity? Job understood that truth, and that we who have believed this truth are able to rest in the Lord, as David tells us. Now the rest that he speaks of here when he says, Delight yourself in the Lord, there in verse 4, He's pointing out that Yahweh is the one that's able to give us this rest and he's able to give us joy and contentment and that we're able to rejoice in the Spirit. And we know that wicked men supposedly are delightful in the things of the world. They give appearance that they're enjoying life, but we know better because we know what the Word of God says. So we have to ask ourselves, why in the world didn't, do we envy the world when we know what their end will be? When we see them and their vain idols and all that they gather to themselves and know that that's only temporary, that life is so short and that we are to looking, looking to that eternal happiness. Now, we know that they can't carry it with, it, with them, so why are we envious of them? I heard Billy Graham say one time, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. How true that is. But yet, the Scripture tells us that we can send it before us, does it not? Does not Jesus tell us that, that we can store up treasures in heaven? We know the ungodly cannot. The ones that live according to this world, they, they have no hope in the future. But yet, Jesus tells us that we can send it ahead of us there in Matthew chapter 6, when he says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And may that be true with us, that our hearts, would be on eternal things. I mean, it was such a joy yesterday to hear about all the church plants. And, and one of my great desires as a church is for us to plant another Reformed Baptist church in Mississippi. We're the only one that's an Arbica church. There's other so-called Reformed churches, but no Arbica churches. And that's one of my great desires. And I was sharing with our people Sunday night that we must begin to plan for such, that we must invest our life in the things of God, eternal things. And it takes money to do it. 
And, and you heard that yesterday, and there was a plea that we support these church plants, and, and we need to do that. Well, how do we do that? Well, we get across to our people that we're investing in spiritual things with our money and quit spending so much money on ourselves that we don't need everything that comes out that's brand new. Let's invest in spiritual things, invest in church planning. It's wonderful that we can do this as an association and and as Mitch and I were talking last night, and as we prayed, I, I prayed, God, may next year we have twice as many churches get up and share about church planning. That God would bless us in that way. Because our people would be willing to store up treasures in heaven. Now, if we remember that God is ours and the unspeakable joy, all that He is is ours. Every name, every attribute, every word, all comes from God and is there to encourage us. And as we meditate upon who God is and the things of God, then we're able to delight ourselves in Him. And knowing that our will is to submit to His will. And therefore, as we submit to His will, comes this rest that David speaks of. And then he says there that we are to commit our ways unto the Lord and trust Him, and He will bring this to pass. Jesus says a similar thing, does He not? Seek the Lord. Seek His righteousness, and and He will add all these things unto you. He'll give us those things that we need. But it's sad that our, our commitment... Is often hypocritical. It's kind of like an illustration that I heard years ago. The Pope said he needed a new heart. And there in Rome, he went out on his balcony and he, he shared this news. He said, I have, some, I have some bad news for you. I need a new heart. Well, when the people heard this, they were just overwhelmed. And they began to cry out, take my heart. Don't you like my Italian accent? Take my heart. And the Pope was just overwhelmed. He said, well, I don't know whose heart to choose, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to take this feather and I'm going to drop it from the balcony, and whosoever head that feather lays on, I will take their heart. So he drops it. And they're all hollering, take my heart. Take my heart. And the feather gets closer and closer to their head. And they're saying, take my heart. Take my head. And it gets right above their heads. And they say, take my heart. Take my heart. That's how a lot of people's commitment is, isn't it? I mean, we say that we're committed to the things of God, but then God says, I'm going to put you here. I'm going to put you through this trial. We go, uh-uh, Lord. No, not that. But David says, commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will bring these things to pass. If we place all our trust in Him, not simply our present threatenings, But all of our care, all of our anxiety, all to submit to His will and leave it with God, He will bring about the remedy. And committing our ways to the Lord every day will lift our spirits and give us great joy. About a month and a half ago, I was in my study and I I was just probably at one of the lowest points I had been this past year. And as God is so faithful in doing, and you've experienced this, I know, I went to the Valley of Vision and I picked up my Valley of Vision 
and I began to read it. Well, I first looked at the heading. Guess what the heading was? Conflict. I said, Lord, what do you have in store for me today? I mean, he knew how discouraged I was that morning. He knew the conflict that I had gone through. And I began to read those words. Oh, Lord God, thou art my protecting arm, fortress, refuge, shield, buckler. Fight for me and my foes must flee. Uphold me and I cannot fall. Strengthen me and I stand unmoved, unmovable. Equip me and I shall receive no wounds. Stand by me and Satan will depart. Anoint my lips with a song of salvation and I shall shout thy victory. Give me hatred of all evil as a vile monster that defiles that law. Cast off thy yoke. Defile, defiles my nature, spreads misery. Teach me to look to Jesus on his cross and so to know sin's loathsomeness in thy sight. There is no pardon but through the Son's death, no cleansing but in the precious blood, no atonement but in his expiate evil. Show me the shame, the agony, the bruises of the incarnate God, that I may read boundless guilt in thy price, boundless price. May I discern the deadly viper in its real malignity. Tear it with holy indignation from my breast. Resolute, turn from me every snare. Infuse to hold polluting sin with it. Blessed Lord Jesus, at thy cross may I be taught the awful misery from which I am saved. Ponder what the word lost implies. See the fires of eternal destruction. Then may I cling more closely to the broken self. Adhere to thee with firm faith. Be devoted to thee with total being. Detest sin as strongly as thy love to me is strong. And may holiness be the atmosphere in which I live. The Lord, through that prayer, lifted my spirits that day. But then he added a topping on top of the cake. Pastor Bill, that day he called me. He said, Thomas, go to... Sermon audio and listen to Joel Beakey's sermon on coping with criticism. And I did. And again, the Lord spoke to me and gave me rest. John Gill says, Be silent to the Lord. Be still and know that He is God. And quietly submit to His will. And when we quietly submit to His will, He gives us that rest that we need to move forward and to be His servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are a sovereign God.
And Father, we thank You for the trials that You send our way. For we know that it's through those trials that You make us more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that it's through those trials, Father, that we turn to You and look to You for strength that only can come from You and give us that rest which we need so that we might be strengthened to do Your work. Cause us, Father, to be still and know that You are God. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.